With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Hey, Bills Mafia. We know there's only one topic every day. All Bills, all the time. And now Matt Bove and Sal Capaccio are going really deep. Talking Bills all year long. Because it's always game day in Buffalo. Okay, here we go. AFC Divisional Playoff. Bengals at Bills Sunday, 3 p.m. Highmark Stadium where... Matt Bove is standing with me, Sal Capaccio, inside a hallway. I was just doing some radio here, and people were going in and out. We had doors slamming, so I apologize if you hear that. And also, we don't want to be in anybody's way. I mean, almost, we could forearm shiver them if they come through. Yeah, I will push somebody to the oh, side if I okay. need to. Right tackle Bove has always been the joke. <laughs> I will, you know, I'll make sure I box somebody out if we need to. I always want to, so I go on these other um, stations and podcasts or whatever around the country, and these Odyssey stations, I was just on two of them this week, and every time they bring me on, they talk about, Here's Sal. He's co-host of the podcast. It's always game day in Buffalo with Matt Bove. Bove. That's what they say, Bove. Yeah, we've heard everything. We've heard Bove. We've heard Bovee. We've heard Bova. There's really not actually even an accent on the E. Like our family has used it forever to try and get people to say like Bove. That predates me. But the actual last name is just B O V E. Like on nobody's birth certificate. So it could be actually Bove, as far as you know. You don't know. Well, this was shortened like years and years and years oh, okay. ago when people that makes sense. from Italy. So yeah, exactly. I got really no idea what it even was before but Beauvais and it's it is like it's a very difficult name to look at and get on the first try because I don't think if I was reading it I would go with Beauvais at all I think it'd be both we have a new game now I want anybody listening to this to tweet us and come up with what it was shortened from we we need someone tweet us what was Beauvais shortened from so how about this one this is fun so my wife's family her father and her grandfather Name is Blaze, which is like the coolest name in the world. B L A S E. Oh, B L Blaze, like um, from what is that? Not Paw Patrol. There's another one, oh. but the Blaze and the Monster Machines or something like that. Max used to watch it. Okay, no, I don't know that. But so the name is B L A S E. But I had just recently found out. So that is my father-in-law's actual name is Blaze. But his father's real name wasn't Blaze. It was Biagio. But when they came over here, it was changed to Blaze. So first off, Biagio is an unbelievable name. Yeah. Blaze is really cool, too. But, yeah, so it's like one of those like cool names. Well, um, mine's Capaccio, obviously, and I don't think it was changed, but... It could have been at some point because there are there's a town, but my dad wasn't from Capaccio. But anyway, that's what happens when people come over from yeah. uh, Europe back in the, the the day, I guess. They did that kind of stuff. All right, let's talk about football. Let's get into it. Bills and Bengals. Sunday, 3 p.m. here. And the storyline this week is Bengals injuries, right? I mean, that is the storyline of this game. As of right now, as we talk to you on a Wednesday afternoon, we don't have a Bengals injury update. Maybe we will by the end of this podcast. But looks like Jonah Williams is going to be out there, left tackle. Alex Kappa is going to be out there, right guard. And, of course, Lyle Collins, we already knew, is out there, right tackle. Yeah, I mean, just considering where this team was even a couple weeks ago when they played the last game that never actually happened, the Bengals have lost two of their starting offensive linemen, or it looks like they are going to be without two of their other starting linemen. They were already without Collins for that game. But then you've had two other injuries since then. I mean, come on. If you're the Bills and you're going against an offensive line that's got three of their normal starters missing – And then you've got two guys who aren't unbelievable who are still there playing. Like, this is a matchup that should be winnable. But quite frankly, the matchup against the Dolphins' offensive line probably should have been winnable or more winnable than it ultimately was. They did a pretty good job, but I don't think they completely changed the game or anything at the defensive line against Miami. So this is a favorable matchup, and that would be huge for the Bills and their chances. Yeah, we're going to get with Joe Goodberry in this podcast like we did the last time they played the Bengals and ask him just how much. is like, is it from 1 to 10, is it a 1, like, no, they're totally fine, to 5, like, ah, some concern, to 10, like, oh, my God, they're in so much trouble without these guys. 
Let me say it this way, Matt. I think this is, if you want to say it, a great opportunity or even indictment if they can't do it on the revamped defensive line for the Bills. They went out and they spent so much money and resources, not just on Von Miller, but on Daquan Jones, on Jordan Phillips, on Shaq Lawson, right? You already have Ed Oliver, um, Tim Settle, they bring in him in. They have to win this. This is why you got these guys. Yeah, and also Jordan Phillips is an interesting person to watch because if he wasn't available the other day and he can play this week, that would be a really big return for them. I know Jordan Phillips, there's a lot of names there, so sometimes he gets lost in the shuffle, but he has been a difference maker, especially getting after the quarterback this year. So if you could have him back, and I look at these two teams, and I by no means think that this is you know a walk in the park or anything like that. I think this is going to be a really, really close one-score game. But since these last two teams met, I feel like they're trending in opposite directions injury-wise, and also with some of the things that were favorable matchups for the Bengals, now as far as the Bills are concerned. Like, Tredavious White has played a couple solid games since he was really targeted against the Bengals those few drives a couple weeks ago, and Kyrie Elam really stepped up against Miami. So, if you could have less questions at cornerback for the Bills, and the defensive line is able to get home, those could be some matchups that you're able to win. Agreed on that. And let's remember, Taron Johnson got hurt on that first drive. Before the DeMar Hamlin situation, Taron Johnson went out, and that would, be, that would have been a huge loss for the Bills because of the way they like to use Tyler Boyd. T. Higgins, of course, really a big number. Uh, secondary wide receiver for them, if you want. Jamar Chase. We know he's a really good number one. And the Bills, Matt, have given up numbers to number one receivers this year. Now, a lot of that was before Tredavious White. I am interested in what you just said about how they targeted Trey. It did feel like that, right? Do you think it was intentional? Because the first play of the game, they went deep on him. Yeah, they were going at him the entire time. And the touchdown was on him. The first deep pass was on him. And, you know, give him credit because they were like, nobody else is going to do this. We're going to do this. And we're going to see what this guy has. But since then, I feel like Trey has kind of gotten his footing a little bit. Like against the Patriots, I know he wasn't going against any elite competition but it felt like that was his best game and the coaches said that as well and then against Miami same thing you're dealing with Skylar Thompson I understand that that inflates things a little bit but they've got some really nice playmakers with Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell and both of those guys had a couple drops which I think would have made their days look kind of more to their standards but that being said you would take those stat lines for both of those players any day of the week I mean going into this game if you're like okay none of the receivers are going to get over 70 yards you well oh my gosh take that you would take that in a heartbeat even I think of a hundred if you could keep two of the three under a hundred you, you probably take that right yeah I mean maybe one guy gets loose for over a hundred but once you start getting up I mean that's what happened last week Diggs and Davis and that hurt the Dolphins right let me stay on the defensive side though because um Obviously, the offensive line for the Bengals is going to be a storyline. They have not run the ball all that great this year. And Joe Burrow is not Skylar Thompson as far as his running ability. He is mobile. He's going to keep plays alive. So, if you're the Bills, do you try to take advantage by blitzing and saying, hey, we're just going to go at you? Or say, hey... We're going to go with four. We think we can beat you. Hold back and say, we will dare you and challenge you to run the ball. I think that's what you do. I think that if you try and blitz them, they're just going to pick you apart. And I think that, you know, he gets the ball out of his hands so fast anyway that if you're not creating pressure consistently with four, then you're going to just be toasted. So for me, I think that you can use it sparingly. You can blitz every once in a while to try and just kind of keep them on their toes. But I would think the majority of the time it should be, you know, try and disguise who's coming. Maybe you want to bring the linebackers up to the line and then you do some exotic stuff. But I think the minute that you start sending five or six people is when they're just going to get the ball out of their hand fast and then they're just going to pick you apart. And that's one of the things that Leslie Frazier has talked about a lot this week. He's like, Joe Burrow is so good at just taking what's right in front of him. And that that has been a criticism of the other quarterback in this game, Josh Allen at times, and just always trying to go for the knockout punch. And the perfect answer is probably somewhere in the middle. But you watch a Joe Burrow game, yeah, he'll extend the field, he'll make some deep passes, but he is not afraid to dump it off to somebody for three, four, five yards and just kind of keep, it's like death by a thousand paper cuts, basically. You brought up Jordan Phillips and his injury situation. Really, the only two injuries we're monitoring are on the Bills' defensive side. You have Jordan Phillips and you have Dane Jackson. Jordan Phillips hopefully will play in this game. That would obviously help him on the defensive line. But when you go and look at Dane Jackson, Sean McDermott said on Monday he's day-to-day. We are down here on Wednesday. McDermott just met with the media. He said everybody is available to practice today. It is a walkthrough. It's not a normal practice. That is great news. But let's go back to what you said about Kyrie Elam. Had a really good game. Dane Jackson's been the starter. They've been rotating. Is it time to start tilting that more to Kyrie Elam? Yeah, I think so. I think the perfect balance is probably like a 70-30 balance of Elam to Jackson, just because I think there's more upside with Kyrie Elam. I think Dane Jackson might be the safer play, but I think at this point, you need to be playing to win. You need to be aggressive. You need to be rolling the dice a little bit, and I think Kyrie Elam has the ability of just kind of being that perfect complement to Trey White. There's nothing. He has not done it consistently enough to say like, okay, Kyrie Elam 
Bolton has arrived. He should be the 100% starter. But I think that he should be getting the majority of the snaps. And also, I think maybe if you're going to give some of the snaps to somebody that isn't Elam, maybe Christian Benford is able to get into this game because they've really liked what they saw from him early in the season. He's still recovering from the injury. But I don't know. I think I would be more interested to see them use Benford than Jackson. Like, I think, if I, it, you know. I, yeah, I, I hear you. And I also, the Bills don't do this a lot. I wouldn't be surprised that they use dime coverage, six DBs, instead of they normally play nickel. They normally play five. But maybe this is a game we're going back to. The, the Bengals have a tough time running the ball. They're bottom five in yards per play. They're bottom five in yards per game. Maybe this is a game where you say, look, we're going to put six DBs on the field, and we're just not going to give you anything with those receivers. Yeah, and it's tricky because you can probably get away with that depending on who you're using. Like, Taron is good enough that he can basically – he's like a linebacker and a defensive back. He's a little bit of everything. They've tried it with Saran Neal in the past. Saran Neal is, you know, better than some in run cover but not great in pass coverage, so you get a little bit of both there. I think that if the Bills can shut down the run game early in the game, then they can make that switch because they're going to be like, they're going to pro- or if you get a lead, because then you know they're going to be passing. You know, it's really interesting. Miami really didn't try and run the ball, and when they did, the Bills were able to completely shut it out. It made the Dolphins one-dimensional, so if they can do that again, that would be a huge, huge thing for them because if Cincinnati has all their options that's not something that you want to see because that, that's really dangerous. Yeah, and if you do go dime, who comes off the field? I would guess it would be an interior defensive lineman. You're not taking Milano or Tremaine Edmonds oh. off the field either. Um, one last thing before we get to the offense. On the defensive side, we do know Micah Hyde will not play in this game. Sean McDermott made that clear. How do you think that D. Marlowe was held up, and what about in this particular contest? Best mistake ever. He said even after the game, he was like, I wasn't even supposed to be standing there, but I was there, and then I got the interception. I think he did fine. I think it's really hard to gauge somebody like that in that setting against a third string quarterback against a team that was really depleted. I think defensively as a whole, they did a really good job against Miami, but I think it's going to be such a different challenge this upcoming week. So I don't really, and it's the same thing with Elam too. Really liked his day, but I really liked his day against Skylar Thompson. Now we can see how he stacks up against Joe Burrow. Same thing for Marlowe, obviously. All right, let's talk about the Bills' offense and something interesting Sean McDermott talked about and Leslie, I'm sorry, Ken Dorsey also talked about this week. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sal Capaccio, Matt Bove, it's always game day in Buffalo. We'll get with Joe Goodberry, our good friend in Cincinnati. He's not in Cincinnati. He's in Buffalo. Where's he live again? The Falls. He's like 10 What island is that? Oh. Uh, wasn't, wasn't, it wasn't, wasn't Grand Island. It was a different island near there, no, right? I think it's Cayuga Island. Okay, I think, Cuyug, I think yeah. that's Cayuga Island. Are we giving away, like, where he lives? Oh, he know. said that. Didn't he say that? I don't even know. Something like that. He's up there. All right. Yeah, everybody. So, like, my mom is from the Falls. I, I almost, I had to, like, stop myself from saying my ma, because that's, like, yeah, too yeah, intense. Yeah. But my mom is from, like, the LaSalle area. You know where, like, Dee Dee's Dairy is? I don't. Okay, this is a very, like, North Towns, Niagara Falls <laughs> thing. It's on Niagara Falls Boulevard. The All the area behind that is, like, the LaSalle area, and that's, like, in between the town of Niagara, Weedfields, and then the actual Niagara Falls. Well, we're not giving his address away. I mean, I live on the west side of Buffalo, so it's okay, I think, to say the area, right? But that I live on Grand Island, so I, get a, <laughs> I, I literally have a moat all the way around me if you try to come find me. But, but Joe is a Bengals fan. He grew up here, but he's a Bengals fan, but he really does a great, great job of covering the Bengals. We'll get with him in a little while. We'll ask him what to expect from the Bengals' defense against the Bills' offense. The Bills' offense turned the ball over three times. Josh Allen, two interceptions, a fumble. Ken Dorsey said Monday... We want our quarterback and our offense to be smart, not conservative. Mm-hmm. I asked Sean McDermott on Wednesday, what does that mean to him? And he said, for lack of a better term, you don't want to put the handcuffs on Josh Allen. You want him to do what you do, especially after putting the work in and having the game plan. This is what we're going to do. But you got to know 
when it's a calculated risk, he said that's the that's the key word. Okay, so here's the perfect example. When you look at the two interceptions from the other day, the first interception I have more of a problem with than the second interception. Agreed. Because the first interception, they're already up 17 points. You're against a team that's probably not going to put up a ton of points on your defense. Maybe at that point, there's something to be said about taking the kill shot. And I always gave them credit for doing that, especially with Brian Dable, because I'm like, you need to step on the throat. You need to make sure these teams are done before they even have a chance. But in that situation... I don't know if I'm trusting John Brown against Xavier Howard on a one-on-one when there looks like there's some confusion. Take a check down, throw it away, run it down. You know, that turned into a huge return, and it put the Dolphins kind of in, you know, not immediately field goal range, but close to field goal range. The second one was just a normal pass that you're going to make, and it hit Cole Beasley's chest, and it bounced off of him. I don't really think there's anything Josh Allen can do about that. The one thing about the Bills, and this is going to be how it is for years and years and years, You're going to live with Josh Allen, and you're going to die with Josh Allen. And one of the things that makes him so unbelievable is what he can do off script, what he can do when he's ad-libbing. I guess that's the right way of putting it. And sometimes that's going to be mistakes. That's just going to be how it is. If you tell Josh Allen that he needs to start being more conservative and making better decisions with the ball, then all of the wow plays are going to go away too, and you don't want that. And I've seen the comp. We've said the comp. It's basically like Brett Favre, right? You're going to always live with the great plays he makes because that's what he does, but you're going to have to accept. You can't have it both ways. I guess that's the biggest point. I think the biggest thing you have to clean up is him fumbling. And in those situations when guys are coming, coming, protecting the ball, that was a big play in that game against the Miami Dolphins. And by the way, I'll say this. It's not just the turnovers, the critical mistakes they made. Like, you go to the John Brown interception, then you go to the Khalil Shakir drop, then you go to the Dawson Knox drop, if you will. Any one of those three plays goes the other way. I think the Bills put that game away a lot earlier. Yeah, I almost even think back to the wild card round last year of the Mac Jones deep pass that Micah Hyde makes the interception on. And I still think, like, if that is a touchdown and not an interception, the Patriots hang around in that game for a heck of a lot longer than they ultimately did. Probably right. I think that kind of started this past weekend. I think that kind of started the trickle-down effect where it's like, you know, you make one mistake, then you get in your head, then you make a second mistake, then you start pressing. And I think that's sometimes when Josh Allen becomes his own worst enemy when he starts to play the whole hero ball thing and I know what I just said but when Josh tries to do it all himself sometimes it works but other times it doesn't I think in these close games against really good teams like the Bengals I think Josh is going to be more locked in and not trying to do it all himself because he knows that you know it's going to be a close like I feel like they're going for the kill shot against the Dolphins because they know they can put them away they're not going to be putting away the Bengals in the first half of this game or anything like that it's going to be a fight the entire time so I think that might actually have him a little bit more locked in and I also think the Bills get a bit of a wake-up call on Sunday I really do as I start to think more and more about it I'm like maybe this was the best thing for them maybe it was nice for them to kind of get pushed up to the brink and be like okay we got away with it but we won't ever again no that's a great point um I was watching back the game, and something that struck me in a couple of those sacks, I paused the TV, and look, there were six Dolphins around Josh Allen. They blitzed the heck out of the Bills. You're not going to get that same blitzing team from Cincinnati. They basically blitz about as much as the Bills, a little over 30%. Miami's a much heavier blitz team. So you're going to get less of those blitzes. Opportunity for the Bills, maybe Josh Allen to sit back there, but they do have a good pass rush, and Hendrickson and Hubbard are guys that the Bills are going to have to account for. Yeah, they got some playmakers, and obviously everybody knows about Hubbard, everybody knows about Hendrickson, but like they've got some nice players on defense I would say they're a better defense than Miami maybe more complete you know like from top to bottom their defensive unit is better I think the Dolphins might have more higher end playmakers but I think the Bengals will be a tougher test to move the football on I mean come on the Bills had three turnovers and still scored 34 points when I was watching the Cowboys game on Monday night I'm sitting there and I'm listening to people say is this Dak Prescott's best game ever he played really really good against a really good Tampa defense they scored 31 points and I'm like wow the standard the Bills are held to is so crazy they scored 34 points and there are so many people ourselves a little bit included that's like what's wrong with the offense so like they can put up points on anybody what is the number that the bills would have to get to that you would be confident they could win this game I think they get to 31. I think I'm going to be okay. That's the exact number I had in my head. I don't know. For some reason, 30 doesn't sound right. 31 is the number. They average 28. I don't know if I, I – I think I need more than that. Yeah, I agree, especially against Joe Burrow. And yeah. I think Joe Burrow is just an absolute stud. I, 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 I Maybe I'm a little too high on Joe Burrow. I think the three best quarterbacks in the NFL 
are Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, and Joe Burrow. And you can put them really in any order that you want to. Maybe Mahomes is a little bit ahead of the other two, but I think you can flip-flop them. I just think Joe Burrow, they're such different players, but I think I trust him in the big moments. I saw them talking about GR yesterday, I believe. The question was 24-20. Did you see this? I didn't. Okay, so I think Jeremy and Howard were asking, it's 24-20 with two minutes left and two timeouts. Which would you rather be? Would you rather be on offense or on defense? I think I'd rather be on offense in this game with this quarterback, the Bills, than on defense against that quarterback and that team. I went back and forth the entire time. The reason I ultimately ended up saying defense, it's such a fascinating question. It's a great question. And I could, I could make the argument for both. I, funny thing is I just went through this scenario with my nine-year-old watching a basketball game, oh, really? and the team was up one. I said, would you rather be the team up one without the ball or the team down one with the ball? And, you know, he's not going through the permutations of the players necessarily, but here's why I would say defense. At least I know I already have the lead, and they have yeah. to score a touchdown. That's why I might lean defense. Well, I also lean defense because, one, you've already got the lead, and, two, if they score fast, then you're getting the ball back. And mm-hmm. And you do in that scenario. Okay, you convince me. So, like, you know what I mean? It took. I don't want to bring up the the yeah. amount of seconds that happened last year, the same week. But you know, we saw the Bills move down the field and get into field goal range against Detroit in like twenty. They did it. Seconds. They didn't have time here against Miami last week with thirty three seconds left. I know. So, like, they don't need a lot of time to move down the field, especially if they've got a timeout or two. It's a fascinating question, but in that situation, I think if you knew, like, okay, the. Bengals are you're going to hold them to 20 points like you would feel really good but I I do think too that everybody is like this game is going to be a shootout it's going to be an offensive explosion and I always have said when everybody zigs you got to zag whether it's like betting whether it's predicting whatever it is so that's why maybe it'll be a little bit more low scoring than people think I think both of us just predicted 31-28, though, the way we were talking about it. I'm not really sure. You need 31, and we think the Bengals could get to 28. Yeah, I think 31. Something like that. I think 31 would be the number that you would feel comfortable with, yeah. but I don't necessarily think 31 is going to be the number that they ultimately get. All right, so two last questions, one about the running game and then a fun one I have for you. Um, then we're going to get to Joe Goodberry. Running game, mm-hmm. not as explosive, as good as it has been last week. Outside of Josh, they only ran for 3.9 yards a carry. That's woeful for the Bills, especially a team in the Bills that runs for 5.2 normally, and even without Josh Allen is up in the four high fours. Um, any concern there? Um, this is a they have a very good player in the middle in DJ Reader, but this is a he's, he's given the Bills fits. Yes, he has. Even back go to like the Houston playoff yes. game. Well, any concern on the running game outside of Josh? A little bit, but I also think it was more about Miami having a really strong run defense than it was about the Bills having a bad day running the ball. So I would say I'm mildly concerned, and I think moving forward going into this game, I know Singletary had the fumble. I know Cook might be a little bit of the flashier pick. I still think that if you're going to split them up, I think Singletary should get a little bit more play than Cook does. And if you go back to that game that got halted in Cincinnati, one drive, the Bills ran the ball. Mm-hmm. James Cook, couple runs right at the middle. Maybe it was him twice, but they did run the ball very well. Yeah, they did. And One drive, of course. One drive, of course. So the sample size is small. I think it's going to be almost the same with the Bengals as it is with the Bills. When you're the Bengals defense, you're like, we got to stop Josh Allen. we got to stop Stephon Diggs. So there's going to be some favorable matchups for the running backs. And I think the same thing on the other way. If you're the Bills, you're like, okay, we got to stop Joe Burrow. we got to stop Jamar Chase. So Mixon and Pirine are probably going to break off a couple, and that's just what you have have to live with because you know that you can't ever sleep on those other guys because if you do they're going to take it over the top especially Allen I mean the guy can throw 60 yards off of his back foot with ease and he's not afraid to do it heck he does it like 10 times a game basically at this point all right last question we're going to get to uh, Joe Goodberry I'm sure you've thought about this on some level but great debate on our uh, our station WGR in Buffalo between Chopin and the Bulldog have you thought about what you would do in overtime now, given the new playoff rules? If you win the toss, here's the new rule starting this year, largely of what happened because of last year. They changed it in the Bills-Chiefs game. Both teams are guaranteed a possession. Even if you score a touchdown, if I score a touchdown, you still get a chance to score a touchdown and match me, and then it becomes sudden death. So the question is, would you want the ball first in order to make sure you have it and get it and then maybe get it back again on the third try, or second because you know what you have to match? Second. I want. I would defer. I would want the ball second, and I think that you have the added advantage of if you know what you need to do, like if the other team does score, then everything is four-down territory. So you've got that extra built-in play the entire time, and you could make the decision 
to try and go for the win on a two-point conversion. Now, I don't know what they would ever do. Like, I would love to know if the Bills and the Bengals were in overtime and the Bengals scored and they kicked the field goal and then the Bills go down and score, what would they do? Would they go for two or would they just kick the extra point? I don't know the answer to that, but I think you would want the ball second. Okay, I think I've changed my stance on this. I think. I'm still going back and forth. Here's why. And I'm going to give credit to Mike Shope. He actually kind of brought me to the other side. I've always been on your side, what you just said. You want to go second. You want to know what you need, right? But, Matt, if it's a tie, if you both match, it's sudden death. I'm getting the ball. That's why I think I might want it first. Like, I, I can live with I can live with how this plays out because if we tie each other in this first possession, all I need is a field goal to beat you. Yeah, but I think if you're going for the win, that's why if you score the touchdown, then you go for two because it's like – That's probably the question. If you think, hey, I, I'm going to go for two either way, then you do take it second. And that will be criticized – Beyond belief, especially at that stage. You know, if it doesn't work, it'll be what are you doing? You don't trust your defense. This is one of the best defenses in the NFL, that entire thing. Josh Allen's your best player. It, it goes back to the play against the Titans a couple of years ago. Remember the fourth and in inches where they tried to sneak it? They didn't get it. They lose the game. If the ball is in Josh Allen's hand, I, I want him to be the one who makes you know makes or breaks your season, basically. And that's so much pressure on one person. But you you could even go for two on the first touchdown if you're the first team to put the pressure on the other team to have to go for two. Yeah, but then a regular touchdown beats you, and an extra point. Point, and that's. But is, really, is there really any difference going for two on the first or second? It's the same thing. No, there's not. You're right. I just, well, yeah, I think there is because I think if you're on the first one, you score the touchdown, then you would have to give up a touchdown and a two point conversion. Like even if they score a touchdown, you stop the two point conversion, you win. So I think if I was getting the ball first and you scored a touchdown, I think I would just kick the extra point. All right. Great debate. Tweet us what you think. In the meantime, Joe Goodberry, who covers the Bengals up next here on It's Always Game Day in Buffalo. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey, it's Sal Capaccio from It's Always Game Day in Buffalo. It's not just a podcast. It's the 25th hour of your day. Your weekly source for all things Buffalo Bills. Right on time, your time. In the car, navigate the streets with NFL wisdom in your ear. We accompany every errand you need to run. Washing the windows or vacuuming the carpets? Don't just clean, conquer. Podcasts make you more productive because we fit perfectly into your schedule. Follow It's Always Game Day in Buffalo in the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we are now joined by Joe Goodberry. We talked to him a couple weeks ago, and then there wasn't really a football game, but we wanted to make sure we get him back again. He's a Western New York native. He does a ton of coverage for the Bengals. Joe, thanks for joining us again. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me, and you're right. I, I hope we can finally build this anticipation to a full game. Yeah, this was nuts. And, you know, obviously everything that happened last time was so much bigger than football, but it almost immediately over, not almost, it definitely immediately overshadowed what we were talking about is the game of the year. We never really got to see it. And now we will. Now we'll get to see two of the best teams in the NFL, two of the best quarterbacks. It should be fun. What are your kind of initial thoughts going into this matchup on how things shake out a couple weeks later? I can't get over the nine minutes that we did get, you know, and, and think about how the Bengals came out, took the ball first attack downfield, really didn't seem very worried about the secondary for Buffalo and, and felt like they could hold up against the pass rush, which they did. I, I thought on that one and a half drive we did have. And then it's funny because we talked about getting digs in the slot when I was on with you guys and the bills come out right away, put digs in the slot, hit them twice and we're attacking up the middle. And if it wasn't for a third down, maybe out of, Beasley's range, uh, Buffalo probably would have had a good chance to score on that drive as well. Got a field goal out of it. So I, I wonder how much of that is scripted, how much of that was, yeah, we know we can attack this way on tape and that may only last a couple of drives. And then you got to, you know, go play football for the rest of the day or how much was that stuff we'll see, or we won't see. I was impressed with how the Bengals came out and did that. And taking the ball first was interesting as well, right? I mean, they basically said, yep, we're going to take it. And they were aggressive and all week they were talking like they were aggressive and they were the team to beat. And they came out and they had that bravado. And I was impressed with the way they, they played. And then of course, Taron Johnson went out even before Damar Hamlin went out and that would have been, you know, really tough for the bills to overcome that as well. Let me ask you about the injuries of the offensive line, because that is the story of the week in Cincinnati. Let's go. All right. If I say, 
from a scale from one to 10, one being totally fine. They're all good. 10 being, Oh my gosh, light the world on fire because they are in big, big, big trouble. What is it for the Bengals? You know, I would probably normally say somewhere closer to seven if it wasn't, if it was Andy Dalton, right? But this is a Joe Burrow offense where I feel more confident he's going to be able to mitigate the issues on the offensive line. And I'll probably go more of a five. Okay. And that's probably how I felt last year. The whole line was the big issue last year. They still got pretty close to winning the whole thing, but you don't want to survive like that for too long, right? You don't want to survive to the point where, okay, we can't call five step drops. We can't call seven step drops. we got to be careful with play action, turning our back to the offensive line because a guy may come in running free at Joe Burrow. So I think we saw it last week when Jordan Williams went out and Jordan Williams has given up the most sacks of any left tackle in the league. But at the same time, the Bengals trust him to do that on an Island. And as soon as he went out last week, second half, they called one five-step drop. This is the remainder of the game. And this is a, a tight game. This is a game where they needed to probably chuck the ball down the field a couple of times to create some room between the Ravens and themselves. And they couldn't do that. Uh, it's second round pick Jackson Carmen. That'll go in the, to that spot. Bills probably, I would compare him to somebody of, of a recent Bills pick, Cody Ford, where he was played tackling college. He's probably more of a guard in the NFL. He didn't have a great rookie year. The Bengals relegated him to the bench this year after they made a bunch of upgrades to the offensive line. He's going to have to go back to left tackle where he played four years at Clemson. Uh, it wasn't great, the one half we got of him. So I am nervous. I think the Bengals are aware of it. I think it's fine to be aware of your deficiencies as long as you can game plan around them. I think that's where we're at. It, who's the bigger loss for them, Kappa or Williams? Knowing Williams plays the more premier position, but he also has given up a lot of sacks. Like, how would you rank those two guys? That's tough. Kappa was having a really good year, his best career year in the NFL, and he was their best offensive lineman. But at the same time, I think replacing a guard with a guy that has 30 starts in the NFL and Max Sharping, who they claimed after he was cut from the Texans, basically cap and they're tanking, you know, situation, what they're doing at the end of the year or at the beginning of the year, they released him. The Bengals claimed him. I'm fine with plugging him in for a couple of weeks. If that's the case at right guard left tackle, I just don't feel like they've had the depth. They've really struggled to draft offensive tackles. And that's why they're in the situation they're in obviously. But uh, I don't think they have a great answer as a backup for that spot. Earlier in the show, Matt and I actually recorded while we were down at the facility and we said it wasn't for sure yet on Jonah Williams and we still don't know, but neither of them did practice today. Just so everybody knows we're talking with you here on Wednesday night and I just can't see it, Joe. I can't see either of them playing, although I don't think, you know, necessarily either has been ruled out this early in the week yet. Yeah, I think they're encouraged by how fast Kappa when it when it first happened. So a guy comes in on a on a loop from the end in, into the inside. He gets blocked by the left guard into Kappa's knee, and we thought that's it for him. I mean, the way he fell and the way his leg crumpled, Adam was like, "No, that's it for him." Turns out it was just an ankle sprain. Just, I mean, that can still be four to six weeks, so you know, depending on how he goes. But already they're like, "Whoa, it might be AFC Championship if they get there." At the very least, it'll be in the Super Bowl if they got that far again. Jonah Williams is a different case because he dislocated his right knee versus the Ravens in week five. They put a brace on it. He came back and finished the game. Left knee happens this time against the Ravens, which is like really weird to dislocate your kneecap twice against the same team in the yeah. same year. Now it's the other one. And I think at this point they're like, let's slow it down a little bit. He could probably put a brace on it if there's no structural damage and get back out there. But I think they want to be careful with him. I don't think they're ruling him out just yet because they want to see what it looks like in a couple of days. Joe, I was watching like everybody was, I was watching the game against the Ravens on Sunday night after the bills had played. So we knew, okay, it's going to be the Jags or it's going to be the Bengals, And let's see what happens here. And I watched the first half. I was in orchard park. And then by the time I got home, I was a little confused. I was like, what is going on? Because the first couple of possessions of this game, the Bengals looked like they were just going to dominate the entire way. Why were the Ravens able to kind of make it a game. And was it more of like self-inflicted wounds from the Bengals or was it the Ravens making some really nice defensive plays that kind of forced uncharacteristic mistakes? The Bengals struggle with two types of teams. And the one, the major one we get a lot is the, uh, the Browns and Ravens were what they are right now that are physical run first teams that are just, if the game script is in their favor and they can stay within a, a score or even get ahead, it's bad for the Bengals because Obviously, most teams like to play when they're ahead of the game. They can control the, the dictate the clock, dictate the game flow. But the Bengals are obviously susceptible to a pass rush. So when they get down and they have to throw the ball, it really is hard for them to protect up front. The Ravens 
they held the Bengals to seven possessions total in this game. I think the Bills had 15 possessions versus the Dolphins. I mean, that's it's tough to get, you know, in a shootout. If each team gets 10 possessions, Bengals, Ravens, I feel good the Bengals are gonna beat them by two or three scores. If you keep it to seven possessions each, we're talking is probably gonna come down to a one score game. And that's the game the Ravens wanted. So they wanted to get be able to get back into this game, keep it close, and play everything deep and just say, okay, our front four is going to beat your offensive line. And we're not going to let anything over the top, not a single shot over the top. And they were right. They they were able to control that. And I think that's what the Browns do. It's what the, the Steelers did early in the year. And it can really mess the Bengals up at times if the offensive line can't protect. I think that's what the Bills will do here. I think the Bills will basically invite even if you will the Bengals to run the ball and challenge them to run the ball and say we're just not going to let you beat us with those wide receivers especially over the top so that said the reason is because the Bengals haven't run the ball great this year what's been the issue I'm a big Joe Mixon fan I think he's tremendous I think Samaji P Ryan is a terrific running back why have the rushing numbers not been there this year they're bottom five in both yards per game and yards per play yeah, this is a situation where I think it comes in ebbs and flows. And in the beginning of the year, they wanted to be a wide zone running team and they were just completely disjointed from their passing attack. It just looked too different. You could tell when they're running, you could tell when they were throwing. So they scrapped the wide zone from under center and they said, okay, let's rebuild as an inside zone duo power from shotgun type running team. And they had a lot of success in the middle of the season. So you might remember Joe Mixon had five touchdowns versus the Panthers. And then Smaji P Ryan came in, had a couple really nice games. They're rushing efficiency jumped to top five for like a month and then it dropped down again. Mixon came back from his injury for whatever reason it didn't mesh and the Bengals, I think defense is adjusted, right? That happens. There's defenses are going to adjust. You need to figure out a new wrinkle on your, on your side of the ball. And that's where they're at now. Now you see jump uh, burrow in the pistol a little bit more trying to make things look, look the same as the, as uh, passing offense to running offense in the shotgun. And I don't think they're there yet. I think Joe Mixon does would rather be a wide zone running back when you have to read the middle linebacker. And if teams have good middle linebackers in the inside zone running, I think that messes them up, slows them down just a little bit. I think Smiley P. Ryan would probably be better for this, this offense because he just north and south is just going to take his three or four yards and put his head down and run through you. Mixon will try to break one and, and bounce it to the outside. The Ravens are a tough match again. Anyone with athletic linebackers, because I think Mixon's starting to slow down just a bit and he doesn't realize it. He plays like he doesn't right. realize it. And he tries to get those guys to the corner and he's not beating them anymore. Mm-hmm. So I watching Milano and, and Edmonds, are they going to be able to beat him to that corner? And then with being athletic linebackers, if that's the case, Bengals are probably going to struggle again to run the ball. Understanding the sample size is so small in those first two possessions of the game on Monday night on the second, they attacked Tredavious white. We don't see that often. I mean, obviously we hadn't seen anything for a year with him sidelined. Now, Trey's got a couple good games under his belt. Kyrie Lim is coming off of probably his best game as a pro. He's still probably not going to get, you know, 80, he's probably only going to get like 60, 70% of the snaps anyway. Do you feel like the bills are better suited to handle the three monster wide receivers for the Bengals now than they even were a couple weeks ago? Or is that still the biggest potential mismatch for the Bengals compared to the bills defensively? It is the Bengals. Ace, right? They, they're off their receivers, their weapons are what they're going to lean on and try and get the ball to them. They feel like they can get open versus anyone. But if you're going to, like Sal said, if the Bills are going to control the deep shots and not allow them, which I think was different. The Bengals, if you remember the first play, go ahead one on one versus White. And the Bills sent a blitz. The Bills were, I was, I'm up in the, the, uh, press box area. And they were showing their hand a little bit early. The bills, we never got the tape. If anyone watches the tape, we never got that. The NFL scrubbed it. So you can't really go back and watch it unless you record the TV copy. The bills were showing. Now you usually will have uh, two deep safeties or one deep safety, right? Or you'll rotate it right at the snap or as close to it as you can possibly get. The bills weren't holding their water long enough. They were kind of showing it too early. The Bengals are getting to the line quick and the bills were starting to show what they're rotating into. You do that to burrow burrow knows where he's going to go and they're going to take their shots. Anytime you're going to leave them one-on-one. So I, I bet that would have been an adjustment. The bills were going to make, but it was interesting in the first two drives that they're willing to blitz and play with just one deep safety. And that's what I'm looking for. Are they going to change that completely? Or are they just going to say, well, that was the first couple of drives. You know, that was part of the game plan. The bills all throughout this year, I feel like have been better after the script has run out. Would it be, would it, let me, let's flip the other side. Um, let's talk about the defense. Would it be fair of me to say, Trey Hendrickson is the better pure pass rusher, but Sam Hubbard is the more complete defensive end. 
Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, Hendrickson's a really good pass rusher, but he he really doesn't defend the run at all. If you watch versus the Ravens, the Ravens were attacking that side, uh, and the Bengals eventually had to pull Hendrickson and put in Cam Sample, who is a big body power run defender type to to play that edge spot. Hubbard's just a guy that does everything well, but nothing tremendously. You know, he's, I would say he defends the run. Well, he plays contain really well. He is smart in that way. He's heady. He just finds a way to make a play when you need one. You need those guys. Those are the guys that, that keep the defense together. Uh, but when the Bengals need a pass rush currently of the two teams, Trey Hendrickson is the best pass rusher on both teams. And, but that is what he does. So if you get in these scenarios, if it's third and eight, He's coming in and he is going to run around that arc. And really he and DM Dawkins, I thought even on the one drive, the bills had, they're going at each other a little bit. And I, I was really wanting to see that matchup and I, you know, we'll get it this week. Well, if I can go ahead, because their, their sacks per pass attempt is not that great. Um, it's 29th in the league. They're known to have a decent pass rush, but when I look at the numbers, I'm like, but they haven't come up with a ton of sacks. In fact, I think they're like 10 behind the bills as far as sacks are concerned. So, you know, where does it lie as far as their pass rush is concerned? And on that note, how much do they blitz and to generate more of a pass rush? They don't blitz that often. They will have a section of, or, or, or a section of their playbook where they will pull that string on a third down, a key third down, and they'll send the blitz. They're going to show blitz a bunch, but they're not actually, not actually going to right. do it because they're going to wait to that one time where they can say, okay, now we're sending that nickel corner. Now we're sending the linebacker, whatever the case may be. Uh, so they won't do it that often. Probably similar to the Bills. I feel like the Bills have done it a lot more since the Jets game where Mike White got knocked out with the ribs. They've been sending Milano a lot more. I think that will be interesting to watch. But uh, the Bengals, if you look at like their pass rush win rate, it's decent, but their sacks just aren't there for whatever reason. I think it's mostly because they're willing to play uh, deep coverages and say, we're going to come up and make a tackle. So the guys are winning at the line. They're not getting there. I think they really struggle with interior pressure. That's the biggest issue. Their best interior pass rusher this year has been uh, DJ reader. And he's not known for that. He's a big body nose tackle run defender, but for one, whatever reason, man, he's been really beating guys in, in pass rush. They just don't have that interior guy. I think it takes three solid pass rushers to actually have a good unit or else you see a guy like Hendrickson Hendrickson go from 14 sacks last year to seven and a half this year, because you don't have that third guy last year. It was Larry Ogunjobi for them. They lost him. He went to the Steelers. They wanted to replace him with third round pick Joseph Asai. He's been coming on lately. In fact, over the last six weeks or so, his pass rush win rate is seventh in the NFL. Hmm. DJ reader gave fits to the bills back in that Houston wild card game. And yeah. I know that he's one of those just like really underrated players in the NFL that, you know, enough people know about, but not enough people nearly talk about Joe. Is this a Gabe Davis game? It feels like this could be one of those matchups where, you know, wide receiver two is just going to get a ton of targets and have a ton of winnable matchups. Yeah, I think the numbers back that up. The Bengals typically have been very good against number one receivers while being exploited by number twos. And they're going to give that number one receiver extra attention. They're going to shade those safeties over. They love their safeties. They don't trust their corners on the outside. They don't really have many options right now. But, you know, Eli Apple and Cam Taylor Bitter are going to be out there, a rookie. And Eli Apple's been a journeyman. He's been okay for them. But we saw him get beat on a double move for a touchdown on Sunday night football versus the Ravens as they were giving him no help because Bengals didn't respect the Ravens receivers at all. It'll be the, it'll be different. Now they'll give them safety help and the Bengals will want to funnel the passes inside to their safeties, to their linebackers who they like athletic young linebackers and to Mike Hilton who's one of the better slot corners in the league, but it is a Gabe Davis game. I can see this being a 10 to 12 target type game for him. And maybe he can continue being playoff Gabe. Yeah. (laughs) let's talk about special teams a little bit. Um, obviously a really good kicker, uh, you know, from last year and all the big kicks he made, but you know, what do the Bengals have on special teams and you know, what do bills fans need to watch for as far as that unit is concerned? Evan McPherson has had some weird issues. He missed an extra point last week. He's missed some random easy kicks to be honest with you. He probably should have won the game in week one when they lost their long snapper. The second kick that he attempted was good enough to get down and get through and that may have cost the Bengals a, a chance at the number one seed. Uh, you know, ultimately everything got messed up with the Demar Hamlin situation. But he's had his ups and downs. They still trust him and believe in him. But he's definitely going through something or going through some some you know sophomore slump, if you want to call it that. They've gone from a veteran long snapper, the longest running long snapper in the league, and the longest running punter in the league, to two young guys throughout the season as well. 
Drew Krishman at, at punter, you're getting no hang time from him right now. He's a directional punter that'll boot at 55 yards, but you're getting, if, if he misses, you're going to have a chance at a return. Uh, other than that though, it's nothing to speak of in the return game. Trent Taylor's nothing really there at punt returns, not that punt returns are even a thing anymore, but at kick return, they really haven't found the spark that they had a couple of years ago. And they've had nothing, nothing like Naeem Hines for sure. The last time we did this, we were all kind of talking about like, yeah, these are two really good teams and this game could go either way. It could be a weird bounce. It could be a weird play that changes things. Now it's in Buffalo. And I think we all, I don't want to speak for you guys, but I kind of feel the same way about this game that I did a couple weeks ago. How big of an advantage or is it an advantage? Do you think for the bills that this game is in Buffalo? Like, do you think the Bengals are, you know, a different team on the road? Are they better? Are they worse? Like how big is the benefit of this to the bills? All of their numbers are worse on the road. Uh, They score more points at home. They have less penalties at home. They have give up less sacks at home, which I think goes to the offensive line and communication and not being in the silent count and being able to hear Joe Burrow make checks and at the line, which is something he's a cerebral quarterback. That's what he's going to do. If you're going to allow him to do that. Uh, I looked at the bills home numbers. They look fantastic as well. I think uh, points per play, they're number one in the league. It's the atmosphere too. sale. I don't I assume both of you guys were there in Cincinnati from the Monday night game. Yeah, That was electric. I mean, you could feel like Great. not just mm-hmm. the Bengals taking the ball and go down. You could, I mean, it was palpable. Yeah. I expect it to be the other way around in Buffalo this weekend. And I think that matters or at least matters in the beginning. And, and as you get the momentum or regain it or need to regain it as you need that spark, I kind of felt that in the bills dolphins game where like, all right, someone needs to do something here. The, the crowd's starting to get a little edgy. And then that's when Elam gets the pick and right back. And then the energy's yeah. right back with everyone. And I think it matters. So I still think it's a coin flip game, but now edge towards Buffalo being home. Uh, last one from me. I want to ask you about being a, Bengals fan. We talked about that in Western New York, but now you went through this situation with DeMar Hamlin. You're watching it as a Bengals fan in Buffalo. You've had a chance to kind of see these two fan bases in a different prism than a lot of people would kind of come together. And you know how, I guess, um, nice is it to see these two fan bases and the the two communities kind of like band together over the DeMar Hamlin situation. Yeah. And we talked last time about the Andy Dalton, Tyler Boyd play to get them into the playoffs. And that's been brought up since then. And I think people in Cincinnati didn't realize how, charitable and how Buffalo can rally together for a cause as, as, as efficiently as they can. And when that happened and they're donating to Andy Dalton's foundation and that, like everyone was overwhelmed by that idea. And I'm like, yeah, I, growing up in Buffalo, I understand why that happens. We shovel each other's driveways. We can, you know, <laughs> we, we look out for each other. And, and then, so when it happened the other way in Cincinnati, this time in Cincinnati rallied, and then the country rallied, the football world rallied. I was like, this is cool. This is, you know, you can see this, that, people are people and can come together and for a cause. And especially when you can see yourself or your kids in that situation and just going like, you know, this, this is terrible. And we need to be there to support as, as a, as people as one. I think if regardless of what happens this weekend, I think if the Bengals win, most bills fans will be rooting for the Bengals from here on out. I don't know about the other way. I don't know if the bills beat the Bengals, if the Bengals will root for the bills or if they'll just root for whoever in the NFC, but it does feel like we've kind of had another chapter in this, you know, really weird connection of teams because it's so rare that they ultimately get to play each other. The last one for me, Joe, is when you look at this game and you watched both of these teams play on Sunday night, do you feel any different about the bills, the Bengals, or this matchup? now than you did at 1259 on Sunday? No, I guess I don't. Um, I think the national perspective has has maybe shifted a little bit. People are underrating what a division rival playoff game can look like, Mm -hmm. and it can be tough, and they're playing them for the third time. Bengals-Ravens was back-to-back weeks. Both Bills and Bengals split with their division rival during the regular season. Those were tough games, both ways, uh, three-point games both ways. So, you know, when I look at it, I, I still think they'll reset and they'll they're These teams are built to probably beat the chiefs, but in at the same time, beat each other. And in a lot of ways, they mirror each other. So I probably feel the same way I felt going into Monday night about the matchups and about the advantages. Now the Bengals are a little more hurt on the offensive line. It's in Buffalo this time, but I will say also as a fan going to that game on Monday night, the vibe outside between bills, Bengals fans was awesome. Like they were hanging out. They were like, we're already in the playoffs. What are we worried about? Look at this. <laughs> Both of our teams at the same time. When does this happen? And it, 
it, it was like, hey, which one of us is going to beat Kansas City? Let's go do it, okay? It, yeah. <laughs> and with, without being too vulgar, it turned into chance of yeah. f the Chiefs. Yes. And like, it was like, man, look at this. Why do Chiefs aren't even here? What are we worried about? This yeah. is Bengals Bills. But a lot of people were saying, if it's not us, Bills, go do it. You know, because the cities are similar, the people are similar, the franchises have been very similar, even before the Dalton thing. If you remember the CBA in 2011, 30 teams vote for it. Two teams did not, the Bills and Bengals. Like at that point, I remember on the internet, people going like, why, what is, what is up with these teams? We've shared coaches, shared players, players from, you know, a lot of relationship between the two that have culminated into this. And I just think it's fun and a lot of anticipation. And we're finally going to get it because lack of a better word, we were robbed of it with 13 seconds last year. The game should have happened. It could have happened easily. And then the game never got to go underway on Monday night. And so a lot of anticipation for this. Well, listen, I'm going to give you both a history lesson right now. Not that you, and you might know about this game. I'm sure you do as a okay. Bengals fan and bills, but I'm going to take it back to 1988. It's not just the AFC title game and Icky woods and the Bengals beating the bills, but here's what happened. All right. So these two teams go into the last week of the regular season and the Bengals and bills basically, um, you know, are fighting for home field advantage. And if the Bengals lose, the bills will have home field advantage through the 88 playoffs. The Bengals win. The Bengals will have home field advantage. The Bengals are playing Washington. And at the end of the game, chip low Miller, the kicker for Washington has a chance to kick a winning field goal to beat the Bengals, giving the bills home field advantage in 1988. He hit the upright. They lost the Bengals won. they had home field advantage. The bills had to go there in the AFC championship game and icky woods beat the bills. And that's why the Bengals went to the super bowl in 88. 35 years ago, guys, that game may have had an influence on me becoming a Bengals fan. My dad did not like the Bengals much after that. Mm. The Bengals were upset with the bills, uh, not allowing them to run their no huddle offense. Mm -hmm. And you know, if you remember the last drive, the guys going down and my, I remember my dad at once the K gun came around and they were running it. My dad did not like the Bengals because the Bengals said, Oh, they took our no huddle offense. But I thought that was a rival. My, I have an older brother who's a Bills fan. Like the bank being a little kid, not knowing much Bengals must be a rival of the Bills. And that's how I stuck with it. There you go. Out of spite. I love that. Joe, there's <laughs> going to be people who listen to this podcast who want to figure out more about the Bengals side of things. Where can they find all the stuff that you do? Best place is Twitter at Joe Goodberry, just the way it sounds. But if you want to watch some film reviews or go over some data or just have a conversation about football and review the games, which you may want to after this one, uh, you can find it on the Cincinnati Bengals Talk YouTube channel where Bengals on the Brain show, show starts uh, at 8, 8 p.m. every Tuesday. All right, buddy. Great job. Thank you. Enjoy the game. We always love when you join us here and it's always game day in Buffalo. Thank you so much. Thanks, Joe. Thanks guys. All right. For uh, Joe and for Matt, I'm Sal. Matt, you want to say anything before you head on out for the final time before the AFC divisional game? Yeah. Whatever team wins this game is going to the Super Bowl. That's what I want to say. I love it. We're going to leave you with that. Thanks to Joe Goodbury for joining us. Thanks for subscribing, downloading, liking, and throwing us a nice review on it's always game day in Buffalo.